0: Welcome to the Whole Health Empowerment Project podcast. This show is for women over 40 who are trying to create balance in their life when it comes to food, body, self care, and wellness. You struggle to put yourself first, to maintain consistency when something isn't perfect, or maybe you feel like you don't have enough time or willpower to achieve the goals you desire. I'm your host, Tricia Stefankiewicz, Registered Dietitian and Nutritionist. I've worked with women like you achieve their goals by focusing on the next best step, no matter how messy, and meeting you where you are right now. In this show, you'll learn practical information, actionable strategies, and mindset tweaks so that you can feel healthier, more comfortable in your body, and make choices that work for your life. Come join me in failing forward one imperfect step at a time into the journey of health, wellness, and self-care. Welcome to your new project. Hey ladies, welcome back to the show. On our episode today, we are going to do a follow-up from our episode last week in which we are talking about the different chemicals, in particular today, the microplastics that are found in our food, which more recently has been found in our blood, and that essentially is probably impacting or having some health consequences that haven't been very well studied. It's an issue that is worldwide, it's not just US-wide. And so we're going to talk about what the most recent data talks about in a way to get to a point that you can figure out. First, kind of know what that risk is out there to you. And then second, trying to figure out if there's any changes that you feel like you want to make in order to minimize your risk of having additional microplastics in your body. One of those things about food and nutrition is that we talk a lot in here about ways to minimize your risk of disease. We follow evidence-based research, but with the different plastics and the plastic industry and the sheer amount of products that use plastic and the different chemicals that are then in that plastic, that information isn't very well studied. So what we present here today or what we talk about today Some of it's evidence-based, some of it's theory, but it's the best with what we have right now. And just understanding that it's probably been not until more recently that some of that, the health consequences related to some of these microplastics have been come about. And so most of the literature or a lot of the literature started on animals. And so now in terms of human research, we are catching up. And so knowing that every day, there's going to be more and more studies that come out about these microplastics and about these different chemicals that are in our food supply. So I think it's important to have a conversation about it as it is contributing to your overall health, probably in some way that you probably don't even know because there's no research to really show you what that looks like for most people or in humans. Before we start this episode, I want to remind you that there are two freebies either in the show notes or on Instagram at Whole Health and Power. They are five things that you should be doing if you're over the age of 40. And another one, a more recent one is about body love. I think I uploaded them last week and I'm not sure that they were working. So I re-uploaded them just to kind of, you know, so that you guys have access to them. And I'm, I apologize for not working last week. Okay. So now we're going to move on to this topic about microplastics and kind of just plastic in general. Plastics really started to be sold everywhere around us, starting in the 1920s. And what we know is that current day plastic is found in everything. So we know that there are, there is plastic in everything. And there are currently millions of products on the market, probably more according to where you live. And there are about a thousand chemicals that reside on these plastic materials. Most of which the chemicals are unknown or have not been tested, or maybe have just been tested in animals. And so we have millions of plastic containers everywhere. We have thousands of chemicals on these plastics, and we don't have a lot of information about what these are doing. We just know that we're starting to see since plastic was first introduced almost 100 years ago or 100 years ago that there are now complications related to that plastic staying around for a really long time and the sheer volume of plastic that's used worldwide. The two of the most common chemicals that are on plastic are biphenyls and phthalates and this is what most of the research that we're going to talk about today is going to be focused on. When we talk about plastic that it's everywhere it is in everything and when it comes to our food and nutrition it's very prevalent on how we make and prepare our food including our tableware our cutting boards our storage containers our straw what we use to cover food and to store it the way it's packaged it's in baby bottles it's in spices it's in tea bags it's everywhere it's in our clothes in our cars on our furniture on our floors, in our toys, in our medical supplies. The pills itself can be covered with plastic in addition to the pill bottles. It's on receipts that you get at the grocery store, the dust on your home, the phone case you carry, and all personal care items that you use every day, including shampoo and mousse and fragrances. So a big problem here when it comes to plastic that it takes hundreds and hundreds of years to break down that plastic according to whichever plastic is being used and according to how big the plastic object is. And what happens is, is that over time, these particles, as they start to break down, they start to break down into these like tiny, like I think they're five millimeters or less pieces. And those pieces are called microplastics, which is what we're going to talk about today. So microplastics, again, less than five millimeters, they occur from things that are small, really small things that have just continued to break down, or they can be from something really big that has broken down for a longer period of time and just continues to break down. The difficulty with microplastics are because of how small they are, they're much more difficult to clean up and their bioavailability increases so that they can potentially impact more species than the larger objects. So if you have these microplastics everywhere, say in our ocean, which we will talk about, it's going to do more damage because you're going to probably have a huge amounts of them in smaller numbers. And they're going to settle in like algae and all of the things that fish feed on the plankton as opposed to having a large object that you can see, capture and that probably isn't going to take up as much space in the long run and it's it's not as insidious. More recently, there has been some studies to really start to figure out what is happening to our bodies and how is the how are these microplastics, like how prevalent are they? And one of the things that they're starting to see is that they're everywhere everywhere. More recent studies have found microplastics in human blood and organs and that's worldwide. So that's everywhere. Microplastics have been found in warm waters, in Antarctica, everywhere. And so one of the things that can be a problem with microplastics besides its availability and how prevalent it is, is that it is also found in human blood. Once it gets into the blood, We know that it probably goes into our bloodstream and then it settles into organs. I think I read somewhere in research that they've seen it in like 15 organs, but the two that are the most prevalent in terms of where these microplastics settle are in your colon and in your liver. So it starts to make you think like, oh gosh, and what is that doing? And I don't know that anyone can capture that at this point. And so it's trying to figure out like what happens with those microfibers, with those delete them. Because of the prevalence and that microplastics have been found in human blood and now in different organs, they started to, scientists start to really try to figure out what does that impact due to our health? We know that there's an increase in food allergies, there's an increased risk of different cancers, there's all of these things that are increasing, but there's no, nobody knows why. So microplastics are being studied just in general, because it's something that's foreign to our body. And our bodies don't like that, right? So some of the potential health impacts that have been studied thus far in humans would be that having a concentration of these microplastics in our body causes more oxidative stress. What does that mean? Well, it means that you have this imbalance so that you have more free radicals, which you don't want. Free radicals are like those like broken pieces of DNA and all of these things that really don't like, you just don't want them because over time they can cause different diseases and more inflammation. And so there is more oxidative stress associated with these microplastics. So you have more free radicals, you have less antioxidants. Antioxidants are really helpful in terms of decreasing oxidative stress. So what the result is, is that you have this imbalance of your free radicals, you have more free radicals, less antioxidants, and that results in inflammation in your body. So I know you've all heard of inflammation because there's so much research right now about inflammation. Inflammation is important because the more inflammation, we know that there is a a link with possible disease development. So that whether that includes obesity or cardi or cardiovascular disease, we also know that this oxidative stress can have an impact on fertility, rapid aging, all of these different things that we don't want. So that's the first thing that we think is associated with microplastics. Second is metabolic disorders are increased with microplastics. There can be an increase in diabetes type 1 or type 2, so that's whether your pancreas is working or not or if you're having some kind of insulin resistance and you know there who knows what it's doing in terms of there are inherited metabolic diseases i'm not really sure that there's any research that goes into what these microplastics are doing a really big focus is on reproductive disorders and fertility more importantly infertility resulting in microplastics there's i had a hard time in terms of fertility and i know lots of other women have a hard time in terms of infertility I don't know if that's, if anything is related, I have no idea, but just know that there is an association somewhere when it comes to reproductive, when it comes to microplastics and it's men and women. So it's not just for one sex, it's for both. One of the probably more problematic areas with these microplastics are when it comes to pregnant women and infants. Infants in particular are very susceptible because they are, you know, they're they're growing. And so the concern here is that the microplastics are able to get to the infant through the placenta. They also think that there's some crossing of the, the blood brain barrier. And so over time, kids may have more brain developmental delays. They may be premature. We don't really know. They, they just know that there is, that they're able to get into the placenta through the pregnant mom into the, into the infant. And then also if you breastfeed, which has always been recommended, right, that there, you can also get microplastics from the mom through breastfeeding, but that also like, there's just really no safe option. There's not a lot you can really do. And I think that's the part of it that can be really tricky In terms of like products, you're going to have microplastics in a lot of baby products. It's going to be in toys. And so basically what the recommendation here is with babies is to know that you're going to have microplastics or plastic in general in bottles and teethers and bath toys and making sure that you are trying to pick items that are phthalate and BPA free and that you're re- you're using products that have the recyclable code on the bottom of one to four or five, which they think are safer. And then, lastly, some of the other associations with having microplastics in our blood is some kind of neurotoxic damage. So there could be potential for brain damage and just damages to your nervous system. And why they think this is that they have found in fish and animal life that there are changes and abnormal behavior that's been associated with them as they have microplastics in the ocean and they have more exposure. So we don't really know. Again, I mean, I think that there is, you'll hear in the news all the time about an increased risk of something. It changes all the time. And so I think it's important to kind of look at what our food does and know that there might be some other things that you can do besides choosing what food to eat and figuring out what diet in quotes you want to be on, that there may be other things that are impacting your health in a way that perhaps we're not really aware of yet. So what do we know right now about these microplastics is that they are everywhere And that it impacts our health, but we don't know to what degree. And I suspect as they do more and more research, they're going to start to find more and more, you know, it's not even just research, it's researching humans, it's researching different chemicals, because there are so many of them that we haven't researched. So I think it's important that we first start to think about how we get microplastics into us. So we know it's in our blood. We know it's everywhere. First, how is that coming to us? Kind of talking us through that. And then at the end, we're going to talk about some ways that you can start to minimize your use of microplastics if you feel like it's important to you. Well, first of all, we're going to start talking about the environment. We know from research that There is 260 million tons of plastic worldwide that we throw away on a yearly basis. So it's worldwide. Only 12% of that plastic gets recycled. And so the rest then goes to landfills and oceans. When they go to the landfills, they essentially sit in the landfills. And because plastic takes a long time, depending on what type of plastics to break down, as they break down, The plastic leaches into the soil and leaches into the air and so now you are contaminating the soil and the air with those chemicals and then also the plastic itself is going to continue to release chemicals in the process of when it's breaking down if the products end up in the ocean There are some nature articles and researchers that talk about how this happens in the ocean and it's, it's, there's just so much to it, but basically wastewater, wind, rain, floods carry any plastic that's on land into the ocean. And they really talk about here, single use plastics, like the plastic bags, the straws, cotton buds, wrappers. Because they're so lightweight and they just can kind of blow around everywhere, that they're going to be the ones that are most at risk for getting into the rivers. And then once they're in the rivers, subsequently then into the ocean, there is going to be further waste created from beachgoers, from boats that are traveling in the water, fishing and farming practices, and then also like the way that waste is disposed of and the amount of waste. And so when it's in the landfill, the damage is that the plastic just stays there and just continues to break down, releases chemicals into the ground, into the air, and then whatever chemicals are on the product that maybe you didn't know are then potentially going to be released. The same happens in the ocean. The products, once they're in the ocean, they don't go away. They stay in the ocean for as long of a time as either somebody cleans them out of the ocean or they just continue to break down. And what happens is, is that everything that lives in that particular ocean feeds there. And as they continue to break down and become microplastics, so that they're super tiny, less than five millimeters, it starts to get everywhere and it interrupts the delicate ecosystem that relies there. And so you are now going to start having... Any of the fish that's feeding off the plankton, that's feeding off the algae, that's feeding anywhere. As they're doing that, wherever these microplastics have, have settled, then you're going to be having any of the the animals that live in the ocean, then will consume those in different degrees. And it really depends on how long the animal is living in the ocean, where where they are, if it's a really contaminated area. I mean, there's just so many variables. So What happens is if we're back on land now, that if we are planting near these, where these plastics have resided, that essentially the plants can drink up the soil. And when the cows then, the cows or any animals come and feed on that soil or on those particular plants, they ingest the plastics. And so it can be used for, in general, the microplastics can be used for mulching on the fields. It's in the the feed of the animals, so you can get it by the ingestion of the animal feed the microplastics have settled. Then into the animals, when you consume the animals, you then consume the microplastics. The same thing happens then when you're back in the ocean, that if you are consuming any of those Any of the fish that you, or any of the animals that are in the ocean, you consume them depending on where they resided, how long, a length of a time they've been in the ocean. You then, as you consume it, will then also consume those microplastics or from the, um, the, whatever was in the ocean. Now you may think, oh gosh, I'm a vegan. I don't eat any of those things, so I should be fine. Well, that's actually not the case at all that we know that even plant-based food is not safe from microplastic contaminations because lots of the proteins that the protein and the protein alternatives that vegans you use also have microplastics in addition to fruits and veggies and everything else so it doesn't matter if you're eating animal products if you're eating just animals from the ocean or whether you are vegan, everybody is getting exposed to microplastics, which is why it's in probably most of our blood. Now, as the food then continues to get processed in order for us to be able to consume it, the processing plants, also everything has plastic there. And so you're continue to be at risk for this increased risk of plastic exposure so it is going to be in the tubing in the machines it's going to be on the conveyor belts there is going to be metal cans so if you if you're packaging things in metal cans that it kind of gets into it gets into the cans if you are at a place where they are heating or pasteurizing, or doing anything to kill any of the the bacteria that could be on any of those products. Just by doing that heating process, it can also release some of the chemicals, and therefore some of the plastics that are on those particular food items, and it releases that into the atmosphere. There also is a theory that because people wear gloves in the facility, the, the latex gloves and things, that perhaps that is also contributing to the plastics in the processing system. It's also important to know that some of this, the newer studies suggest that plastic can pass through the blood brain barrier in mice as quickly as two hours after consumption. And that research found that it potentially exposes all of us to carcinogens. The long-term impacts on our health related to these microplastics are not fully understood. And so it's really hard to isolate ourselves from consuming them. And there are lots of different, there are lots of different nonprofit organizations and for profit organizations that are studying this. And so what we're going to talk about now is trying to figure out how in our own life, we can start to minimize the risk of having these microplastics around us. All right, so let's talk about how you can start to reduce your overall exposure to the chemicals that are found in plastics. And again, we're really talking here about the the bisphenols and the phthalates. So let's talk about now how you can start to minimize your risk. The first thing is avoiding plastic food containers. So most food, especially if you're buying out fast food, is going to come in plastic food containers. The goal here is that you do not reuse any of these plastic containers. So what the research shows that if you microwave these plastic containers, that essentially all of the chemicals that are in the plastic container are released and then therefore then released into your food. And I remember this research from like years ago, but I never really dove into it because it just sounded like so sci-fi and that it couldn't really be real and that maybe it wasn't something that I needed to think about because it just feels very overwhelming. But then as I really started to study the literature and what they think, I think it's probably worth not using those plastic containers and really focusing on if you're using a microwave to reheat your products in glass or silicone or something like that, that's deemed safer. I know for my son, I have containers for him for school. And when I started to really look into the research, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm giving him like single use, like plastic containers. Now I think in my head, I thought, well, he's not reheating anything in there but I still do think it's probably worth a look in changing what I give him to take to school and really trying to explore something that is an alternative that may work better for him because he's little and so that can be challenging in its own right because I know that a lot of those products for kids especially that are more like environmentally friendly also tend to be more expensive. And this is what you'll see, I think this is kind of where we're at worldwide in the industry, Um, especially in the States that the things that are going to minimize your risk in terms of your glass products and your organic foods and things that we know have better feed for your animals tend to also be more expensive. So it, 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 I think it continues that disparity that we already see when it comes to our food supply in general. All right, so, if you're, so let's go back to these plastic containers. Okay, first thing is that you, again, don't want to use plastic containers in the microwave. If you are putting something in the microwave, you want to make sure that you have a microwave safe container or cover. So first use a microwave safe container. And then in terms of your cover, making sure that it's microwave safe glass or ceramic. You want to avoid excessive heat in general when it comes to plastic, because we know that any heat, whether that is from a microwave or whether it's from a dishwasher, it exposes those plastics to high temperatures, especially if it's for a longer period of time. That can also be like if you're exposing it to sunlight or placing them near a hot surface. All of that heat just continues to release those chemicals into the environment, into the food that you're consuming. Another thing I would say is that you want to use can containers that are labeled as microwave safe. Microwave safe are usually have been tested and found to release minimal chemicals when heated. So you really want to make sure that you're doing that. Also, when you're storing food, I would also start thinking about storing food in a glass container. And what they also want you to know in a lot of the in a lot of the recommendations is that some of those containers, even if they're glass, have plastic lids. And so you really want to try to to keep the food in the glass as low down as possible so that it doesn't come into contact with the plastic lid when you're storing it. Some other things that are kind of talked about or recommended are essentially anytime that you have any hot food after you're done heating it, You don't want to dump that hot food into a plastic bowl to store it or put plastic wrap on the top for leftovers. Essentially, you want any of that hot food to cool down or just to put any of that food in general into silicone or glass containers to minimize your risk. And then if you need it to wrap your leftovers, thinking about ways to do that, that is safe, whether that is with beeswax or some kind of other lid that is considered microwave safe or that's considered just to be safe in general. When it comes to, which I don't know if any of you guys know that, and I certainly, I think I learned this a long time ago, but I couldn't remember, is that acidic food or beverages can increase the likelihood of chemicals leaching from the plastic. So I think back in the day, I would store like tomato sauce in a plastic container. And I would always be worried like that it would mess up the plastic container because now it's all like orange and, and red. But in the reality of it is that essentially those, any of those tomato-based products, it are gonna essentially leach into the plastic. So you want to really avoid storing acidic items in plastic containers. And that goes for citrus fruits too. So we know like anything that's acidic, whether it's tomato products or citrus fruits, you really want to try to keep them away from plastic so that they don't leach into there. Also, you can look at the bottom of the the container and look at the recycling codes. Plastics tend to have recycling codes that are on the bottom of them. And the, and the codes range in all different numbers, but what we know is with numbers one and five are considered safer options for microwave use if, in fact, you are using plastics for microwave. The second recommendation is to steer clear of fast food, and that is for two reasons. First is that there in some of the tests that have been done on different products, especially fast food products, we know that there are higher levels of the phthalate in it. And they don't really know why. They think it, again, is is because of these vinyl gloves that the workers are wearing at fast food restaurants. And they, they know that those gloves or the chemicals that are found in those gloves are very easily able to get into these items. And then the second reason, which we're gonna talk about in a minute, is that they're high in fat and there has been association with foods that are really high in fat that tend to have a little bit more chemicals in them. If you're somebody who's eating takeout once a week, that's very different in terms of what your exposure is going to be versus somebody who lives in our modern culture and is eating takeout more of the time. So knowing that the takeout containers in general are going to have exposure to different microplastics and also whatever is in the food and then addition to the, the gloves that are potentially also leaching chemicals into these fast food products. The next thing is limiting your high fat foods. Now, I just kind of talked about that. So for whatever reasons, they think that why fast food is at a higher risk is because there's there usually tends to be higher fat. They think that there's some research that found that when they're higher fat food, there's more plasticizers that are found in those foods, and they're not really sure why. They don't know if it's because it's a higher fat content or if some of those plasticizers Are known to be fat soluble. And so that's kind of what they're doing. They're just staying in the fat because they're fat soluble. So it's another reason to kind of think about what you want to do in terms of your fast food consumption. Eating fresh, minimally processed foods is another way to decrease your risk of microplastics. You want to also, when you're grabbing your fruits or vegetables from the supermarket, don't put them in a produce bag because then you're going to then further contaminate them with plastic and I would also say we had talked about on our last episode of looking at what this year if you were in the states what this year's dirty dozen for vegetables are and what the clean 15 are for vegetables because buying organic can be really expensive and so try to really focus on the foods that tend to have the most pesticides in them and that should hopefully help you help minimize the cost a little bit more if you're focusing on things like that you want to buy organic things that have more exposure to pesticides they're going to be things like your berries which are really hard to clean and things that are kind of dropping from a tree and sitting in the soil as opposed to some of your your things that have a skin on them may be a little bit more protected because once you take the skin off that protection, it has protected that particular fruit or vegetable. So again, trying to eat minimally processed food. What I would also say to that in terms of overall environmental impact is buying local. That's going to help in terms of decreasing pollution and waste. because. As you start to hear, and as we get through this episode, you're going to see that they're kind of one in the same, right? So the more pollution there is, there's more environmental impact from that, but then it's also affecting our our food supply as well. So kind of taking that into consideration, buying local, buying things that have the least amount of pesticides on them. In terms of what is in your kitchen besides your plastic containers also taking a look at some of your supplies that you use and the tools that you use in the kitchen I would first look at your cutting board you know are you using are you chopping and using plastic cutting boards because in doing that as you're using the cutting board that's plastic you're going to be able to generate more and more microplastics so one of the things that I'm trying to figure out is switching to a wood or silicone cutting board instead and hopefully that should help decrease your risk of microplastics. Another one would be in terms of water bottles. I know that a lot of people now have switched over to glass or steel and so to continue that, avoid plastic bottles and cups which are often made with bisphenols and then carry around your own stainless steel straws and saying no to plastic straws. It'll also help decrease the amount of trash that you're generating. So it will help with that too. But I think most people have done a pretty good job, at least here locally, I see more people carrying their their water bottles that are usually made of steel. In terms of when you're buying food, bringing your own bags, I know that varies according to location and where you're coming from. I know some places have had bag, plastic bag bans for a really long time, other places not so much. So bringing your own bags will also help minimize your risk of having more and more plastic exposure. In terms of other things when you're buying your food, so some of the recommendations are instead of using things that are single use, which sometimes that's going to be really hard to do, like I think of the, the things that I buy and so much of it is single use, but for me, I can probably, with my condiments, especially is what I'm thinking, there's a lot of condiments that I get that are squeeze. I'm thinking of jelly or mayonnaise or something like that, or even mustard or ketchup and trying to see which one of those you can switch to a glass jar or just some kind of other product that's not going to have that plastic in it. Now, when it comes to your home, some of the things that you can do to minimize your microplastic risk is going fragrance-free. So we know that there are lots of microplastics in your shampoo and in the cosmetics, there usually tends to be these beads and these beads then can form microplastics. So it's really trying to go fragrance-free or with any of the, the personal items that you use, making sure that it's phthalate-free should hopefully also help you decrease your risk of microplastic ingestion. Also, when you're looking at the recycling code on the bottom of these products, your personal products, you want to keep these personal care products and know that the numbers one, two, four, and five tend to be safer. They are the same numbers that are also recommended for baby bottles. Another recommendation for your home is to try to really make sure you keep your home clean, vacuum when you are able to ventilate your home. It's really important to keep the windows open when you can, vacuum when you can. And why that's important is that these phthalates they are typically used in furniture. They're used in the lining of your shower curtains. They can be off of your vinyl flooring. And so over time, it accumulates in dust that settles in your home, which then you're inhaling. And so ventilation becomes really important. So keeping your atmosphere clean, vacuuming, opening your windows, that should hopefully help with the ventilation. Another is to refuse any paper receipts. So the recommendation is to go for digital confirmation or receipts instead. There is research that shows that those like glossy receipts are often coated in these, in these chemicals that we are trying to avoid. And then another recommendation is to limit your use of vinyl. And vinyl again is everywhere. It's going to be it's in everything that you're doing every day. So just kind of looking at what the key ingredients are of things that you're choosing. It can be advertised as vegan leather, but essentially it's in it's going to be in your clothes, it's going to be in your car interiors, the flooring, your, your shower curtains. So just for you to kind of think about in the back of your head, like, oh, is that final? And what does that do in the long term in terms of these microplastics? So now we've kind of talked about how we can reduce your like your environment so that you can decrease your risk of microplastics. But it's also important to know that there's other things that we can do on an everyday basis that can help to protect our food supply. And if we're able to kind of minimize and protect our food supply, then hopefully in the bigger picture that also then protects us. So in terms of some suggestions, these are from the United Nations Environmental Program. They estimate that the ecological catastrophe of all of this environmental impact is about $13 billion annually and that we can do these things every day in our everyday habits that can really help the environment and that can therefore impact as each of us. And so some of their recommendations are some of it's going to kind of be the same. Avoid single-use plastics, such as straws, plates, disposable cutlery, and those plastic bags. If you go shopping, remember to take your shopping bag. Buy more food in bulk because you're going to have fewer packaged products. Replace all of your plastic Tupperware with glass or stainless steel containers, when you are hanging your wash outside, use the wooden pegs instead of the plastic ones. Avoid using any cosmetics with microplastics. And I don't know how you would really do that. I think you would just have to figure out which ones are um, phthalate-free and really start to think about in terms of your clothing. Just know that there are going to be some chemicals in the in the different plastic that is where your clothes may come from and, and as well as on your actual clothes. And then choose to recycle and use some of the things that you're using. Don't just throw it out and use it once. Think about the bigger picture and how you can get more and more use out of that. And then I think the biggest thing is to start to work with your community and knowing that this is a huge issue and it's not just a one part of the world issue, it's worldwide. And knowing that You know, you're going to be able to do things that you can to protect yourself, but there's still a lot out there that needs to be done. And there's probably some legislation, if anything, that is going to need to be done to really make this something that has a longer lasting, that has something longer lasting benefits and reach for all of us. And so kind of trying to figure out where you can start to minimize that and what you can participate in. At a community level, that can really make a difference in the bigger picture. So, they talk about that there are these groups out there called zero waste groups. And then there's people out there that compost their garbage. And there's different people that shop locally, or maybe shopping locally just doesn't have to be with your fruits and vegetables. It can just be shopping with your small business in your community. So that you can minimize the packaging and the shipping that would cause more environmental harm. And then they started talking about like that there are groups out there called Upstream. And there's these nonprofit groups that essentially are trying to reduce takeout packaging for restaurants. And so really just emphasizing that there's probably more legislation that needs to be done when it comes to limiting single-use plastics. And just kind of trying to figure out if there's any way that you believe that you want to get involved in that. Because again, it's, I think in order to change this, it's going to have to be things that are up at that legislative level. And that's going to have to happen all over the world in in order to really start to improve, improve these. And I think that by the, as they do more and more research and more and more of the health complications that are seen with these products, and these microplastics, I think that that is probably going to raise awareness. And then hopefully there can be some changes at a higher level. So right now, though, the focus is on what we can do. But I think over the long term, the goal here is that we can reach it at such a level that we can have a big impact that we can improve our own health and also the health of the environment. So as we start to end this episode just to remind you that this is about what you think works for your life. And by having the knowledge and awareness about the issue and how prevalent these microplastics are. And so the goal here is to educate you, educate others, so that you can make choices that you believe work for your life. And there's no right or wrong. And Certainly, I mean, there is a cost here to doing this. I mean, I'm a single mom, I get it. So it's trying to figure out what it is, what is most important to you based on your values, based on your income and what you feel like that you're able to do at this particular time. Because the goal here is for a cleaner, healthier future for generations to come, for my kids, for your kids, for our grandchildren. In the end, knowing what you can do today to minimize your risk of microplastic pollution and also knowing that it's going to require a collective effort and commitment by all of us working together to address this challenge that has become a global challenge so that we can improve our health worldwide, so that we can improve the health of the environment and we can start to pave the way for a world that is less plastic and much more sustainable for all of our generations to come. So, I appreciate you guys listening today. Don't forget to go over and grab the freebies. And if you guys have any questions about this, or if you want me to dig into some more things, or just if you want to just kind of reach out to me in terms of this topic, you can find me at Whole Health Empower on Instagram. That's where you'll find your freebies. And then once you get a freebie, you can get on my email list and I can kind of, you know, communicate with you. Or you can just send me a, a DM over Instagram or Facebook. I'm on both of those. So I thank you guys for listening and I will see you guys back here next week. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. If you found value in this podcast, please rate, review, or subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Don't forget to share this episode with your friends. Together, we can take tiny imperfect steps towards creating the whole health we desire and deserve. Don't forget to grab your freebie. You can find the link in your show notes or over at trishard.com. I'll see you back here next week.